I'm J.P. Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Hi, Kiki. Are you ready to Ragnarok? Oh, you can do the pun, but I can't, huh? Yes, that is how it works. <laughs> but uh, before we get into that, Hocus Pocus 2 trailer. It's out. We've talked. We did the original Hocus Pocus a few years back. Now Hocus Pocus 2 is coming this Halloween. It's this so nice lo- to see the Sanderson sisters back together. And they're looking for the stage always. <laughs> oh, this. And it looks like it's going to be a young girl who gets witch powers who has to take on three bad witches. This is the craft. I mean, I I like the craft. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first thing I saw when I saw the show. Like, this is Disney's The Craft. Which is not a bad thing. Especially... Disney might own the craft now. I don't know if we checked lately. Uh, No, it's Sony. (laughs) Sony owns the craft. Oh, okay, okay. All right. The craft is safe. It's fine. (laughs) Everybody stand down. No, um... I really loved... I think my favorite thing in the trailer was that I really loved the effect for the Black Flame Candle. Yeah. It looked so awesome. Ugh. And then I went and listened to maybe every single cover of Come Little Children on <laughs> YouTube last night, I think. For them being 30 years older, they don't look much different. Whatever makeup tricks they're using for this movie, it's working. I mean, it might just be that they're all just goddesses. Who knows? Um, this is Bette Midler we're talking about. Yeah. There have been some behind the scenes pictures that Doug Jones posted of him in makeup so that that makeup still looks pretty good there was a there was a few posters that were released by Disney there's the one that everyone shares of the shadows of them in all together with the logo but there's one funny one with them on on brooms uh Winifred is w- riding a regular broom Sarah seems to be riding a Swiffer <laughs> and Mary and Mary is riding two Roombas like a hoverboard. Oh, see, I want to put I want to put Sarah on the 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 Roomba because she's you know just be like her tiny little. <laughs> Mary's supposed to be the comic relief of the trio, so I mean she was the one that rode the vacuum cleaner and the. In the first I, I know, but it's, it's Sarah Jessica Parker weighs like you know forty five pounds or whatever. So, um. We don't really have a lot of plot because it's just a teaser trailer. So we're we're not exactly sure what the plot of this one's gonna be yet. But it it's got the vibe and it's got the look. Um and the one or two jokes we get in the trailer look uh, are are funny, you know, they land. So I'm hopeful. So 
you know, fingers crossed. Please don't mess it up. Please don't mess it up. Uh, yeah, September 30th. Uh, 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 I'm very interested to see where they're going with, with, with this. And the fact that they mentioned the stage, are we getting another Bette Midler bop in this movie? I mean, it would be a crime if we didn't. You're going to have Bette Midler in your movie? She's going to sing. I think that is is a law, yeah. Yeah. Ugh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So let's move on to our main feature. We've got a brand new Thor movie, Thor Love and Thunder, that's going to be coming out just a few days after this, re- this recording goes out on the podcast feed. So in honor of that, we are taking a look at the last Thor movie, Thor Ragnarok, Taika Waititi's first dive into the MCU. Taika wasn't really... I mean, he he had done some stuff prior to this, but he wasn't really known as the guy he is right now. And I think this movie kind of helped with that. Well, yeah, this was his first big budget thing um kind of an interesting story on how he got the film mm-hmm. uh he had been making films in new zealand i think his biggest film before this was what we do in the shadows i think that was the one that had kind of had the most international appeal i may be wrong on that but that was what i personally knew him for um but especially in kind of the indie film circuit he had become very known for these offbeat things and of course he had worked on things like the flight of the concords tv series and stuff like that And as we discussed in our Moana episode, he had already been under contract with Disney to work on the initial script, which they ended up using nothing from his original script for that film. And he says that when he got the meeting with Kevin Feige and some of the others at Marvel, his idea was if they ask you if you can do something you just say yes and then you figure it out later when they asked him if he was comfortable you know working with big budgets and stunts and explosions and cgi and all this stuff that he had basically never done before he was like oh yeah sure absolutely the truth is, you know, he he had had no experience doing quite a lot of the things that they did. And his pitch was that he basically just torrented a bunch of films and stuff and created a short reel set to Immigrant Song. And it was like a little music video set to Immigrant Song, from my understanding. Um, And it had just a whole bunch of 
clips from other movies that had the vibe that he was going for. So it was like a whole bunch of like 80s action movies and stuff like that. And apparently the the reaction in the room was sort of like Kevin Feige being like, great, do we own the rights to Immigrant Song? If not, can we own the rights to Immigrant Song? <laughs> I find it interesting that uh, it, it, Taika just kind of walked into the room and bluffed his way into directing. It worked. This is the <laughs> film. This also has a very mixed reaction depending on the MCU fan you're what you're watching because there are people who really did like that Kenneth Brenna Thor movie and felt that that was the way these movies should be going. But after you know the 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 not so good reception Dark World got, them going into this different direction kind of was needed and it worked because this uh ragnarok is the most successful of the thor movies people who did not like the kenneth brenner thor movie really did like this one and found it to be you know this was saying that this was the first time they've ever liked thor people who liked the kenneth brenner movie felt that this was a portrayal that this is the worst of the thor movies me i think this movie's a lot of fun and this is and yeah, this is the movie I would go to back the most to watch a Thor movie. And then there are people like me who are like, two great tastes that go great together. Can I watch both of them, please? I love absolutely both of those things. And equally, I, I I mean, I, I am. Do you want to watch a Kenneth Branagh Thor movie? Yes, I do. Do you want to watch a Taika Waititi Thor movie? Yes, I do. I love both of those things in equal measure. They are both my my brand of Thor. Yes, please. Absolutely. And this plays into something that Hemsworth wanted because Hemsworth was thinking of leaving and, you know, letting his Marvel contract expire after Endgame because he really didn't like the vibe of those early Thor movies. After doing Ragnarok, uh, he thought, hey, I'm going to stick around a little bit longer and play the character more because he likes working with Taika. He likes that they're letting him express that comedic side of him, a comedic side that we really never saw until the 2016 Ghostbusters movie, which he also said was a lot of fun working on. Which we have talked about uh, tangentially in a previous episode how much I loved his performance in that and what a incredible comedic actor he is. Yeah. And the thing is, is that I hate the people who diss the Branoff film because y'all forget how absolutely hysterical that film is. It can be. That I mean, film yeah. is hilarious. Go back to our episode on Thor that we did like a year ago. And yeah, you get our thoughts on how we did it. It is, you know, not just Cat Dennings being Cat Dennings, but, you know, there's. Yeah, you know, Hemsworth has some absolute hilarious moments in that film, intentionally so. The the interesting thing though is I I get it because Branagh was doing the original kind of 
journey into mystery Thor. The 60s Thor, yeah. Which was intentionally Shakespearean. That's what Stanley and the guys were riffing on. Um, I don't know why they were like, eh, Norse God, let's make him Shakespearean. I don't really get that, but okay, you do you. Um, but the, the funny thing is, though, is I get it because there is a hilarious convention clip um, that I love that's uh, it's some it's it's uh, Hemsworth and Hiddleston's uh, at a convention panel together and an audience member asks their opinions on Shakespeare and Hiddleston in his fashion does his whole like you know I'm a classically trained Shakespearean actor. Let me let me give you a a tiny lecture on Shakespeare. And then they turn to Hemsworth and he's like I I did a Shakespeare play once in high school because I had to I didn't understand it then. I still don't understand it now. I watched Kenneth Branagh's version of the play I had to do. And I just did what Denzel Washington did in that film. (laughs) (laughs) And it was, you could tell that he had no idea what was going on then or now. And it was not his thing. And he was like, I don't, I don't like Shakespeare. I'm sorry. I don't get it. I don't understand it. It's fair. (laughs) And I thought, if those aren't the two most perfectly cast actors in the history of of cinema i don't know what what is so um i get why that's why this is his thing like he wants to do the hi let me show up and do the comedy and the action scenes you know people who don't like this film want to give taika a lot of heat for doing things they think are his invention that are not mainly some of the things that were pulled from the storyline from planet hulk and also mainly the destruction of asgard in this movie which is ragnarok did happen in the comics which is a thing from the comics which happened that that Asgard got destroyed and Thor As- rebuilt new Asgard on Earth. Only Although in- I, I really like that they changed the location. The location of New Asgard. I think it was Oregon. Earth. Oregon uh, in, in, in in the comics. I I thought it was Oklahoma or something, but yeah, somewhere it was somewhere, in, it was somewhere in, in like in the, the US. The, in the US. But um I thought it was fascinating that the things that people tend to complain about are the things where you're like, oh, wow, you really haven't looked into the history of Marvel Comics. If you literally have not read this. a comic book in like 20, 30 years. And yeah, we're seeing that now with the more of the new stuff that comes out. People are complaining. It's like, yeah, you haven't read a comic book since the 60s, haven't you? Because these characters have existed since the 80s, since the 90s and stuff like that. 
Yeah, you know, the people who are like, why are they making She-Hulk? It's like, because She-Hulk has existed for ages. Like, why why make, you know, Luke Cage or Black Panther or whatever? It's like, well, because they've been around for a minute, you know? Um, And even like, you know, why is there all this Shakespearean stuff in Thor? Like, did you ever read the original Thor comics? Excuse me? You know? Um, so, yeah. Uh, what you said, Planet Hulk, I want to get back to that. Because I want to talk about the movie that never was. The movie that couldn't have ever been. We had talked about the Hulk movie before. The Incredible Hulk, the 2008 movie, which is canon to the MCU. Even though it was with a different actor. Universal has the distribution rights to any and all Hulk movies, even though Disney currently has the rights to the character of the Hulk. So Marvel Studios can make a Hulk movie anytime they want. They could have made a Planet Hulk movie if they wanted to. But that means sharing the profits with Universal. And Disney was not going to let that happen. They're barely trying to get along with Sony over Spider-Man. So we will likely never have a solo Hulk movie because of that. So they decided to be a little bit sneaky. And put all of the what would have been a Hulk movie across four different movies. Starts in Age of Ultron. Uh, obviously the ending with Hulk and the Quinjet flying off. Um, they did put that scene at the end where they see the crash Quinjet simply because they did not want to start any speculation of a possible Planet Hulk movie. Didn't work because people were still talking about a Planet Hulk movie. And then they did the main Planet Hulk move, the, the main beats of Planet Hulk in Thor Ragnarok. Sakaar, the Contest of Champions, all of that. Yeah, and, in, including the characters of Meek and Korg. Uh, I mean, you know. It's... The only character we don't get in this one is Silver Surfer, because at the time, Fox still had a hold of him because the merger hadn't happened yet. Yeah. And then they take the Hulk returning to Earth and the merger of into the Smart Hulk through Infinity War and Endgame. Yeah, I mean, we also don't get... The Illuminati show up in Planet Hulk, and we wouldn't get the Illuminati until uh, they show up in the most recent Doctor Strange. There's um, a great animated movie from Lionsgate for Planet Hulk. Sadly, it seems to have disappeared off the face of the Earth. It was on YouTube for a long time, but uh, sadly no longer there. But if you can hunt down that animated Planet Hulk movie, I do recommend it. Yeah. But so, yeah, that was their idea for a Hulk movie or a Hulk trilogy, whatever you want to call it. They just spread it across four different movies. So we are technically getting part two of four in terms of Hulk story here. Uh, We talked about Korg. Technically, we've seen Korg already. Because Korg is technically in Dark World. He is the rock monster that we see Thor fight at the beginning of that film. But clearly Taika wanted to use him in this movie, so we're just going to ignore that for now. Well, I mean, we do sort of get a bit of a hint that 
maybe there might be a connection there. There's a fan theory. Yeah, Thor immediately recognizes his species. There's a fan theory that this was Korg's father that suddenly disappeared, which is why his his mother has a boyfriend. (laughs) Um, But it is, yeah, it is a member of maybe 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 Korg is uh is just like their version of the name like Joe or something. (laughs) Like, every third person on their planet is named Korg. Most of our characters are coming back. There's a few who don't. Most notably, Natalie Portman is Jane Foster. Not here. And that had a lot to do with the fallout of Dark World. And we'll talk more about that if we ever get around to Dark World. But, yeah, they quickly wrote in that, that, that Thor and Jane had broken up. And they make you know that very early in the film. But now she's back in Love and Thunder. And we get our returning characters. We got Chris Hemsworth back as Thor. We got Tom Hiddleston back as Loki. Idris Elba as back as Heimdall. We got Mark Ruffalo as Bruce Banner slash the Hulk. Uh, big thing because this is the first time Ruffalo voices the Hulk. Because previous movies in the MCU, we've had Lou Ferrigno doing all the voices of the Hulk. I guess they figured with Hulk having a more vocal presence, actually saying more lines, they actually wanted Ruffalo to do those lines and not Ferrigno. Well, I think also that they wanted to set up the eventual merging of banner and hulk as well i think by this late in the game they realized that's where they were going to go by end game because they were already plotting out infinity war and early plotting of end game they had uh already i think decided that by end game, you were going to see merged uh, Banner Hulk. You know, you, yeah. they, they, you were going to finally have Smart Hulk. So I think that that was probably a major reason that they started phasing out Lou Ferrigno's voice. And of course, we get Anthony Hopkins back as Odin in his final performance of as Odin. We get the Warriors 3 back, played by their same actors as previously. One we, Another one we don't get back is we, we don't get back Jamie Alexander as Lady Sif. And the reason we don't get that is because at the time, Jamie Alexander was doing a TV show called Blind Spot. And, kinda co- and, the, and the schedules kind of didn't match up, unfortunately. Considering what happens to the Warriors 3 in this movie, uh, that might have saved her. Yeah. But she is supposed to be in Love and Thunder, so we will finally see the resolution of that, maybe. And, of course, we get Benedict Cumberbatch making a cameo appearance as Doctor Strange that we did see and when we talked about Doctor Strange, that post credit scene. Well, we saw part of it. It's yeah. a truncated version of the, the longer bit that they filmed. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little. Is there anyone else? No, 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 no. All right, let's talk about. In terms of new characters, we got. We probably talked about him before. Clancy Brown as Surtur. 
Yeah. Great, great, great screen actor, great voice actor. He's the Kurgan. Come on. How do you not love him? He's Mr. Krabs. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I never watched SpongeBob, so <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I'm the chick with the Highlander tattoo. He's always going to be the Kurgan. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, so you gotta, you gotta love Clancy Brown whenever he shows up. Um, and he, he does amazingly assert her in this. Although, uh, interestingly like so much of the motion capture in there the motion capture for surter was uh was taika apparently some of the hulk's motion capture was also taika yeah i mean it's it just kind of seems whenever you need motion capture on one of these sets and taika's around he just kind of pops on the suit and wanders around doing it and they just dub over who's ever voice later on the hero side we get Tessa Thompson as Valkyrie. Yeah. Um Tessa Thompson is great. Uh she's currently uh the new season of Westworld just dropped. Uh or at least started. Uh they've put up the first episode. I haven't gotten to see it yet and I am itching for it cuz so good. I love that show. Um it's so but, good in this movie that they captured her in Helmsworth for for the Men in Black reboot. Yeah. Um, but she also showed up in Annihilation, which I loved. Um, and uh, she's been she's been having a great run of films. Uh, Sorry to bother you, which I absolutely love if you've not seen that one go watch it great film she was in the two creed movies which are the you know rocky sequels side you know projects or whatever she was in uh selma and uh a film passing which i haven't gotten to see yet but it's on my to watch list She's been so many good things lately. <laughs> um, yeah. So every time she shows up, I'm like, oh, yeah, going to have a good time. So let's get into our villains for this movie. Kate Blanchett as Hela. Definitely changing the Hela uh, origin, not only from mythology, but from the comics. Because her origin in the movie is that she is the firstborn daughter of Odin. And I believe in the mythology, she's supposed to be Loki's child. Yeah, the MCU, I was going to talk about this later. We might as well talk about this now. The MCU has shown three of Loki's children from mythology, and none of them have been recognized as Loki's children. <laughs> Two of them just are not mentioned as where they come from. And one of them is a child of Odin and Loki's sister. So, yeah. Um, Hela, who is based on the goddess Hel, um, is one of Loki's children in mythology, um, who is seen riding Fenris, who in mythology is the wolf Fenrir, who is another one of Loki's children. Um, <laughs> and uh hell's brother in mythology and then as we discussed in the first 
Thor film, we get Slepnir, who is Loki is Slepnir's mother in the yeah don't don't ask how that works actually do ask how that works go look up that story it's an amazing story and Taika Waititi was just on Colbert like a week ago as we're recording this talking about how he wants to see that like he wants the Loki TV series to go through the birth of Slepnir and I am fully on board with Taika's idea because that's like just like some like David Lynch or uh, David Cronenberg body horror right there. So uh, yeah, like I I don't uh, I don't know. That's one of the most amazing stories in all of Norse mythology. Anyway, but yeah, it's so yeah. Slept near the uh, steed of Odin is seen in the first movie. So yeah, there are three of Loki's children in the MCU. None of them are recognized as Loki's children, and one of them is turned into his sister. Don't tell me the MCU isn't messed up, because WTF MCU. But Kate Blanchett. <laughs> <laughs> but Kate Blanchett is awesome. She's awesome. We love her. Um, Australian actor, and uh, you you know her because you've seen Lord of the Rings. Everybody's seen Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 she, Kate Blanchett is one of those actors, if we need to tell you about Kate Blanchett, something's wrong. Her, uh, Hela's henchman, Hela's executioner, Carl Urban as Scourge. Man, right after this, he went from being Asgardian to being one of the boys. Yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those things of, uh, you know, again, you really only need to mention Lord of the Rings, but we're going to mention more because good grief, Carl Urban. I always it's... feel weird when I talk about Carl Urban because... I'm one of those weirdos that I I look at Carl Urban and I know that he's like a big famous movie star now. But every time I see him, I just think like, oh, my little Cupid's grown up because <laughs> I will always see Carl Urban as Cupid from Xena. Me too. But up until <laughs> up until I saw him as Bones in the Star Trek reboots. Even was... when I saw him as Bones in the Star Trek reboots, I'm like, "Oh, Cupid gets to go play cosplay as Bones in the Star Trek reboot. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just, it's so, like, once you see a dude, like, walking around in a white loincloth with wings, screaming, like, Mom, it's not fair! <laughs> like, <laughs> You're never going to see him as anything else, like, no matter how good an actor he is, because he's an amazing actor. But I love him in everything he's in. Um, but, I mean, that that Judge Dredd movie that he made is, oh, yeah, that was amazing. like, the most amazing thing ever. Um, that movie deserves more love. That movie deserved a sequel. Talk about a man who understood the assignment. We do not remove our helmet. This is the way. Thank you for understanding that, Carl. We love you. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum as the Grandmaster. We should not have to tell you who Jeff Goldblum is. Legend. I mean... Yeah. Uh, really? He's considering the public persona of Jeff Goldblum in the last decade. He really is. looks like he's playing himself in this movie. 
Yeah, this is at this point, Sakar is not run by the Grandmaster. Sakar is just run by Jeff Goldblum at his Jeff Goldblumiest, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, this is just they just like they were just like, hey, Jeff, go uh go have a good time and do whatever you want, say whatever you want. We need to express these four things in the plot and other than that i'm pretty sure they told him to just say whatever he felt like i'm not even sure he had a script i think they were just like okay in this scene you just need to say something something hulk something something thor and he was like all right got (laughs) you like (laughs) i don't even know Um, one one of my favorite things is we haven't seen it in the mcu proper and we, I doubt we will, but the Grandmaster is the brother of the Collector. And the fact that we've never, that we will likely never see these two actors, these two characters on screen together, hurts me. Well, the interesting thing is, it does bring up a point of how old is the Collector? Because the Grandmaster says that he ended up on Sakar and. Sakar's weird time dilation or whatever. It's surrounded by black holes, so yeah. Is the thing that's keeping him alive? Because he said on any other world I'd be like millions of years old or something. Mm. Does the collector live on a world that has a similar time dilation effect? He lives in the head of a celestial. We've seen what the celestials can do in Eternals. You draw your own conclusion. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, that that's what I'm saying, is, like, are these two just being kept alive by weird things? Like, you know? Tell me you don't want to see Del Toro and Goldblum in a movie where they play brothers. I mean, I'm, I'm not against it. I, I, that would be very... I, I, I mean, you would not have scenery after because they would have chewed all of it to tiny tiny bits but it would be funny uh i do want to give a one quick shout out though to somebody who doesn't really appear where you can see them but i uh do want to say that uh another really awesome uh person who kind of contributed to this film is Zoe Bell who worked with Kate Blanchett uh to get ready for uh the role because she is one of the most awesome stunt women uh working out there you may know her because she uh did the stunt doubling for uh Xena uh, she was the stunt double for Lucy Lawless. She's from New Zealand. Um, and she was also the double for Uma Thurman in Kill Bill. Uh, if you've ever seen the uh, film Death Proof. That I was going to mention Death did, Proof. Yeah. yeah, she basically played herself in that. So you've seen her on uh, screen. But uh, she did... Um, she did the the stunt doubling for uh Kate Blanchett in here and helped train her. Um and so that is 
basically why Hela looks so amazing. Uh, because she is one of the greatest women working in stunts for the last, you know, 20 years or so. Yeah. So let's talk about probably the funniest cameos in this movie. Because we get the, we get, you know, if you didn't like Dark World, you get they where they make fun of this movie. <laughs> the play within a play, as it were. There's your Shakespeare right there, the play within the play. Yeah. So we get the play version of the end of Dark World, where we get Sam Neill as fake Odin, Luke Hemsworth, Chris's brother, as fake Thor, and the funniest one of them all, Matt Damon as fake Loki, which is only here as a reference to the Buisk universe. <laughs> I, I love the whole thing, which is like the the chorus singing part of the score from yeah. Dark World, uh, which is a joke that a lot of people miss, that they're actually singing a choral version of part of the score from that film. Yeah, um, yeah they got Sam Neill in because he had done a film with Taika Waititi before. So and, and of course, you know, if you're if you're going to have a New Zealand actor, well, I mean a New Zealand director, you're gonna have more New Zealand actors. Uh so Sam Neill's in here. Uh <laughs> the, uh who I think most people just figure because his his accent is so generally changed that I think a lot of people just think he's from England but nope New Zealand but uh, yeah he had worked uh, with uh, Taika on one of his uh, more uh, independent films that he had done back in New Zealand which was uh, called Hunt for the Wilder People uh, so yeah he's he's in here playing Odin and then of course you know there's like 700 Hemsworths or whatever, so you know we're we're lousy with Hemsworths, so we just grabbed another one and told him to play Thor. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, the the Matt Damon one was the one that really threw me in the theater. I was like, what? Like like <laughs> Ty just saw a dogma and said, "Yep, that guy." <laughs> yeah. Damn. So, uh, yeah. But let's get into the movie proper. Right off the bat, you get that this is a different tone than the previous Thor movies or even the previous Marvel movies, not only from his narration, from Thor's narration. Well, just the... we think it's narration, but then we discover he's just talking to a skeleton. <laughs> yeah. We Which get... I like. I like the uh, the misdirection there. It's just typical. Well, well, here I am. I bet you wonder how I got here. And he's just talking to a skeleton and enter Surtur. And the entire interaction between Thor and Surtur just shows you the tone that this movie is going to take of, like, Thor, son of Odin, Surtur, son of a... You're alive! <laughs> I like that they're in 
It, they never say it in the movie, but the place that they're in is a, a place that... And look, all of these are, uh, you know, Norse words and, you know, okay, that's not the easiest language for me. So um, it, we're going to screw them up. Um, but anyway, they're, they're in a place called Muspelheim, uh, which is the, okay, in mythology, it's the realm of fire. Um, I have always wondered what Thor's plan was, because we've talked about the fact that Thor is not exactly the brains of any operation. And boy, does he prove it here. Okay, Surtur has laid out exactly how this works. I take my helmet, I put it in the eternal flame, I grow big, I destroy Asgard. Okay? Now, the Eternal Flame, as is shown as soon as Hela gets there, brings anything back to life. Okay? Mm -hmm. It's even got an incantation. With the Eternal Flame, you are reborn. That seems to be what the Eternal Flame does. Put, put Touch a dead thing with it. It brings dead thing back to life. It makes zombies. That's what the Eternal Flame does. So, like, he kills Surtur, and he brings the crown of Surtur to the vault where they keep the Eternal Flame, which is on Asgard, which is the place where he's supposed to destroy Asgard by putting his crown in the Eternal Flame. What is your plan here, buddy? And you can say, like, well, he thinks he killed Surtur. That's not... Yeah, but the Eternal Flame brings back dead things i don't know what his plan so was what Maybe. are you doing putting the crown that has to go into the eternal flame in the vault with the eternal flame that the crown has to go into that brings back the dead things that want to grow big and destroy the place where you live in the th you see what i'm saying like no you How take would this the work crown even? and you put it on realm number eight that is really far away from Asgard, and then it no touchy to Eternal Flame. How was Surtur going to do this? Because seemingly it, remove doesn't, it doesn't matter if Surtur does it. If you've got a crown that has to touch the Eternal Flame. You take the crown and you put it really the F far away from the eternal flame that it has to touch. No touchy touchy the eternal flame. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't I know. I mean, what if, if you've got thinking. gasoline and you've got fire and you don't want a big explosion, you keep the gasoline stored way far away from the thing that makes fire. Like, that's just basic safety, my dude. Like, Thor needs an OSHA class, okay? <laughs> you do not store the combustible thing next to the thing that makes fire. Let's <laughs> uh, get to and you know what? No, no, no. You know what? There's another thing here. Because we see what happens when Loki is ruling over Asgard, right? 
And there's like a whole quote from Tom Hiddleston that's like, you know, it's really like we see what happens when Loki rolls over Asgard and he's just like being hedonistic and throwing plays and stuff and like building statues to himself. And I'm like, but is Asgard doing badly? Maybe not Asgard, but clearly the other realms are not doing so well. I mean, we get told that, but it's really a tell more than a show. Like, we don't actually see the other realms in any sort of chaos. And the only person we've got that, like, is telling us that is Surtur, the fire demon that wants to destroy Asgard. I mean, are we really going to take his word for it? Who's that guy? Do we trust him? The guy that wants to destroy Asgard is telling you, yeah, things are not going so well. Why don't you take my crown to the eternal flame? Drop it in. See what happens. Like, I mean, am I trusting that dude? Like, we see Doctor Strange in just a little bit, and he's like, yeah, I I helped Odin be in exile on, on Earth. I'm not too worried about it. We don't hear him going like, yeah, you got to get Odin back to Asgard. The Nine Realms are just absolutely friggin' chaos here, dude. Like, other than just being mildly concerned that Loki has showed up on Earth and might start some crap. like Again. <laughs> again. Which, fair. Like, nobody seems all that particularly worried that Odin's not on the throne of Asgard. And what has Loki done other than invest in the arts have a party (laughs) and like take a nap and eat some grapes and presumably have an intense amount of sex again go read norse myth but like seriously like do we actually see where anything goes bad i feel like it's one of those weird things because when dark world ended we thought that that was going to be the next movie and it's of, like, of... just Loki absolutely going bonker doodles and just murdering everything. Yeah, you kind of got the feeling that was what it was going to be. But instead, it's like, go watch a fairly entertaining play and have a party, my children. And you're like, yeah, I'm kind of down with that. This actually seems like a fairly decent system. I mean, I'm not for monarchy, but... This doesn't seem like too bad a one other than the weird dude that controls the rainbow bridge showing me all of his weird collectibles every time I go in there. I mean, you know, you got the weird toll bridge guy, but other than that, how is this that bad a system? Who knows? I'm just saying, like, if you're going to tell me the nine realms are in chaos, at least, you know, give me more than one weird fire demon's word for it just saying i think i mean it i don't know if that was more of the movie we probably would have been shown more but they really want to get us to to hella as quickly as possible which i'm fine with because kate planchette is awesome Uh, and so is dr strange who we get to meet and it's an awesome scene so yeah we get on midgard This scene also is one of the things that bugs me so much about this movie because they get there, they land on a street in New York and Loki's like, uh, I left him in this old folks home and they're just, they're demolishing the old folks home. Oops. I've lost Odin. (laughs) My bad. Um, which is funny. 
And then there's another funny scene of like a whole bunch of girls coming up to Thor and being like, oh my God, it's Thor, let's take a selfie, which is funny, but also like, uh, you're looking for your father, dude. dude is standing right next to Thor. The guy that attacked New York not even a few years ago. Yeah, it's like four years after the Battle of New York. This is the dude that just tried to destroy your city with a whole bunch of space aliens. And from what we know after the end of Infinity War, post-snap, there are a whole bunch of people out there being all, Thanos was right, please go dust half my family again. And that is for a dude that looks like a California raisin. Meanwhile, the hottest guy you have ever seen in your life did some, you know, mild attempted genocide in New York. Where are the Loki fangirls? Or at the very least, where are the people screaming, ah, it's that dude what tried to do a mild genocide in New York four years ago? Seems the only person who noticed was Doctor Strange. The only person who noticed that Loki showed up was Doctor Strange, and that's presumably because he has some sort of, you know, magical alarm system should Loki ever, you know, show up. Let's get to let's get to our Doctor Strange cameo. And if you're watching this on Disney Plus, or even if you have the Blu-ray, there are two different versions of this scene. Yeah, they filmed two different they filmed this two different ways, and one of them is in the deleted scenes in the extras which I had never seen until this rewatch, and I found it in the deleted scenes. And it is wildly different than the film version. It feels like that deleted scene feels like like they filmed that before they even filmed Doctor Strange proper. Yeah, because he shakes Thor's hand, and he's all like, you will have a dark and mysterious future. And like, I don't know, he's like weirdly predicts Thor's future and goes into a trance or something yeah and then there's a different thing about where he put like the pocket dimension about where he put loki which just says all kinds of weird things about strange in the movie proper we get the whole i've been falling for 30 minutes yeah so he just puts him in a you know pocket dimension where he's just continually falling in null space or whatever in this deleted scene He's in a porta potty at the construction site, presumably of this torn down old folks home. What weird perverted thought did Doctor Strange have? Well, if Loki's full of it, he might as well be in a place that's full of it. It it really makes you think worse of one of the Avengers, you know? Yeah. And that original scene continues. And I understand if you've never seen the rest of that scene, because the rest of that scene is not on Disney+. And I had to show Kiki this right before we started recording. And I understand what they were trying to do. They want Anthony Hopkins to be a little bit more funny and show his comedic side. But um, if you ever watch the original Thor Ragnarok trailer, you see that Hela breaks Mjolnir in a city environment and not in Norway like in the finished film. That was because this originalist battle originally happened in New York City. The alternate scene, I believe it is on the Blu-ray if you have it, 
shows a much different looking Odin. We have homeless man Odin spouting out crazy, crazy. He's he's a crazy homeless man, which is much considering what Odin has done in the movies. You might think, oh, he kind of deserves that. But, and I get it's supposed to be comedic, but it just comes off as sad. Because we have homeless man Odin. He's holding his garbage in his in his shopping cart. You know, you can't have my things kind of deal. And we learned that 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 o oh, that Loki had to mess with his mind to get him to be subservient to go to the old folks' home. And he's just spouting crazy things like, "See the fire, Thor! See the you see the fire! See the fire!" Well, and, and he keeps repeating. The phrase about Asgard isn't a place. Which does come back in the proper movie, but I think this gets hammered home a little too much. Asgard is not a place, see the fire. Asgard is not a place, see the fire. Over and over again. And that does play into the rest of the movie, but I think that's showing your hand too early as far as this movie is concerned. There is one bit of the scene, though, that I did kind of like, is Mm. that... It's the only time he actually apologizes to Loki. In his rambling, he does wander over and he calls Loki his son. He says, you're both my sons. And then he apologizes basically for the way he screwed up Loki's childhood. And it's the only time in any of the films that that happens. And it happens in a deleted scene. And it happens in a deleted scene, which is such but, an awful moment. But it's the it, it's the first time we actually see a trick that Loki uses later in the movie, where it's where, later in the movie we see Loki put his hand on Valkyrie's head just to see her memories. We see some. We see the same thing with Odin. Odin touches it, um, Thor's head to show him Ragnarok happening. So that 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 is a nice thing that we see later uh, that does connect back into the main movie. But again, this whole scene is supposed to be comedic. It does come off very sad. But it's also the only part where we officially see Odin pass on his his power to Thor. You no, know, it's a well, very they quick... they say power, and I think that I don't like that they used that word because we're dealing with superpowered beings here. His rank and, is king. It's, he's and, officially naming Thor king of Asgard at that point. Yeah, and that's what they meant. They do make it a bit more clear in the deleted scene that Odin was using his superpowers, his magical powers, his godly powers, to hold back Hela. Because he does start talking about, I can't hold her back anymore, I can't hold her back. And we see her ripping through the, you know, fabric of the multiverse or whatever the hell, you know, she's coming through. Literal hell. (laughs) And, uh, well, yeah, I mean, it could be that she has been in the realm of the underworld because in the myths, that is where Odin put her. And one of the reasons for her turning against him in Ragnarok was... Because, well, she wasn't too happy about that. And she had used her time in exile to gain command over the dead. 
So uh, in the myths, Ragnarok kind of becomes an accidental self-fulfilling prophecy because Odin hears a prophecy that Loki and his children are going to turn against him. And so Odin's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to like chain up all of Loki's children and send them into exile. And then through a series of events, he ends up, you know, kind of torturing uh, Loki and his wife for untold centuries. And uh, by the time Ragnarok actually happens and Loki gets free, kind of everybody in that family has beef with Odin. So it's like, well... Were they your enemies because they were destined to be your enemies? Or were they enemies because you spent centuries torturing this entire family to their breaking point? Not entirely sure about that, dude. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but, yeah. Uh, so, in in the movie, it kind of works the same way. Like, was Hela always going to turn on Odin and, you know, uh, cause Ragnarok? Or... Uh, was maybe the place where Odin was keeping her trapped just awful. But yeah, in the deleted scenes, she breaks through and then actually murders Odin and then breaks Thor's hammer. We get the funny little transition in the movie version where we get the I've been falling for 30 minutes and then Loki attempts to attack uh, Doctor Strange. Um, I'm really sad that we don't get more Loki and Doctor Strange because, you know, Hiddleston and Cumberbatch are actually really good friends in real life and work very well together. The yeah. Scene, the scene that we did get in the movie of, of you know, dying Odin, you know, it's a much better scene. It's a much more warm scene. The idea that Odin can break through Loki's spell makes sense. Because he's the Allfather. He would be able to do that. that that's she another line that gets me, is that Odin says, it took me a while to break through your spell. Frigga would be proud. And all I can think of is, what the hell was Frigga doing to this man during their marriage? <laughs> <laughs> Like, because apparently Loki's spell was, like, massively mind-controlling him for at least two years. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> Frigga, what were you up to? <laughs> we don't know. I mean, we know that she tends to go on her little excursions with her sister every every once in a while. <laughs> Based to what if, but who knows? Maybe that's her thing. Is like I'm going to make my husband fall asleep for a little while so I can go have a girls' night. In the comics, the Odin sleep ha happened once every year. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, who knows? Um, but yeah, it it's a very sweet little scene, and the interesting thing is that Odin when he becomes one with the force or whatever the hell that was, um, it allows Hela to, to break through. It is fascinating that she is immediately powerful enough to just be like, Oh, look, a hammer made out of Uru. Okay. Let's snap that, which is pretty cool. And you know, 
still in pieces as of Love and Thunder and supposedly reforged. Well, the interesting thing is, is that I, I didn't even really think about it until the rewatch, but they just kind of leave it there. And then they come back to basically that same spot and it's new Asgard. build new Asgard. So, yeah, I guess they just kind of swept up the pieces and kept them somewhere. You know, we're we're recording this before the film has come out. So, we you know, we haven't had a chance to see the film yet. So it'll be interesting to see how they got which those makes me... pieces to the forge, I guess. I don't know. We don't know. When Hela returns to Asgard, nobody remembers her. Nobody. That means that she has been gone long enough for either one of two things to happen. Either Frigga was such a queen of magic, which I can buy, that she mind-wiped all of Asgard. Or Hela has been imprisoned long enough for everyone that was on Asgard when she was there with, you know, doing all of the conquering with Odin to have died. It's possible. And we know how long Asgardians live generally-ish. Thousands of human years. I just like that this is a movie made by an indigenous man about a culture that tries to bury its violent conquering past. Oh, yeah. No, this is absolutely the, like, <laughs> hey, the consequences of all that colonialism you did is coming back to bite you in the ass. And I love it. They even paint over that mural of, you know, we see the 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 happy, pure, the, the halos around their heads. Yeah, of the, the whitewashed uh, version of Asgard's history. And then underneath you see Hela... Holding Mjolnir with fire and brimstone around her, conquering. Yeah, riding Fenris and, and conquering along with Odin. Oh, the Warriors 3 have such a humiliating death in this movie. This is the part of the movie that I think I hate most. Like, these are, one, they're Thor's best friends. They are supposed to be the strongest warriors on Asgard, not directly a part of the Odinson family. And they just go down in one hit each. I get why they did that. I want to show how powerful she is. So she takes down three of the strongest warriors in Asgard easily. But it's just, you bring these actors back for that. And then down with one shot. And which makes me glad that they couldn't get Jamie Alexander back. Because I don't know if I'd be able to take her also going down in one blow. Yeah, I, it's so it's so annoying. I just don't like it. I hate being like, oh, we want to show how badass our our villain is. Let's have somebody die a punk ass death. That'll show people. It's like no, it doesn't. It's like it 
doesn't. It just pisses off your audience. If you are writing a film, here's a piece of advice from somebody who just spends all their time watching movies. It does not make your villain look badass. It makes your writing look bad. It's like when you're watching the Friday th- um, Nightmare on Elm Street. Like, you watch the sequels to Nightmare on Elm Street, and the opening scene is the survivor from the previous movie, and they just go down like it's nothing. Yeah, it's like, oh, look, cameo from the last film to be like, hey, remember that film you liked last time? Boy, wasn't that pointless? Yeah, I hate that. Don't do that. The thing is, though, is that we get that thing of, you know, Loki and Thor end up on Sakaar, and because of the time dilation, you know, them landing a few seconds apart is weeks for them. I do uh, love this 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 Willy Wonka reference in the movie. That is so bizarre, but yeah, I also love it, and I also love that even though it's a different song, it is such a reference to the Willy Wonka boat ride as well yeah. that Thor just gets freaked out in the weird little yeah. chair tunnel thing. Yeah, it's the Willy Wonka boat ride with pure imagination. Yeah. That's a ride I want at Disneyland. You get on the chair, <laughs> you go faster and faster, all the screens around you showing all this stuff, and you are now meeting the Grand Master. Sudden stop, there's Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> yeah, and then he just he plays jazz piano for you and, and talks to you about <laughs> random weird stuff. Yeah. You know, we get the whole thing of like, well, you know, Valkyrie immediately finds him and she's like, oh, look, you know, he's over six feet tall and built like a brick wall. That, that, that's a good fighter, you know. And, and you know, he tells, uh, Grandmaster tells him, if you can beat my champion, you can leave. I'll let you go. Which you immediately know is a lie. Otherwise, why is the champion still there? Because um, he wants to be there. We find that out. Well, does he? I mean, the second that Hulk turns back into Banner and tries to leave, it's, hey, they're escaping with my champion. Find them. Banner wants to leave, but Hulk seems to enjoy. Hulk likes fighting. Well, I mean, Hulk's just never tried to escape. But once Banner tries to leave, it's they're trying to take my grand champion. No, they're not trying to take the grand champion. The grand champion is attempting to walk out. Technically. Mm -hmm. It was always a lie. And the thing is, is that uh, Valkyrie says over and over and over again, no one leaves this place. Which means it was always a lie. Yeah. What he means is their freedom they shall earn in the fact of I will not constantly have a little tag on them shocking them all the time. But you don't get to leave. We even see someone who tried to escape. And he gets the melt stick. Oh, yeah. I pardon you from life. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, no, no, no. There's there's no escape from the planet. 
you you may not be kept down in the circular room with Korg and Meek and the the other ones with and the dog. little the little you know and and the corpse of dog <laughs> um the uh man that another day another dog line i used that on a weekly basis at minimum the running gag in this movie of thor's hair because we see it first off with, with Dr. Strange, because he needs a strand of Thor's hair to find Odin. You will not touch my hair. Goes in, when, he, when he gets into the contest of champions, we get our Stanley cameo as the barber. Yeah. And how quickly how quickly Thor goes from, you, I am Thor, son of Odin, you will not touch my hair, to, please, kind sir, don't cut my hair, please. Yeah. But I, but I do think uh, eventually it was just kind of like Hemsworth being like, "Please get me out of this wig. This wig is awful." <laughs> I mean, that's what I heard. That was the main reason for cutting his hair because he didn't want to wear the wig, and you know now he's back again wearing the wig. Yeah, which I kind of wish they'd have kept him in the short hair. He looks better in the short hair. It's just wigs are such touchy things. Like if you can ever just use somebody's natural hair for it, it's so much better. Um, short hair, and he didn't want to do the 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 dehydrate yourself workout, and now he's doing it again for. Oh uh, yeah, I feel so bad for him. Not only for for Love and Thunder, but that that Hulk Hogan bio movie he's supposed to be working. Oh uh, yeah, just oh poor guy. And and we get the reveal of who Valkyrie is because at first she's just a scrapper, and then we find out that she is Asgardian, and she's been around for a while. And the thing is, is how old is Valkyrie? Because she's old enough to remember Hela. She's the only one who does. She was the lone survivor after Odin sent the Valkyries after Hela the first time she tried to escape from Hell. And the interesting thing is, is that apparently there aren't any Valkyries anymore, but Thor grew up wanting to be one but apparently they just don't exist anymore so apparently it's like an Asgardian legend the thing is is that you can explain Valkyrie because of course she immediately ran away from Asgard and apparently has been on Sakaar ever since and time dilation so yeah um I'm glad they did not go with their original idea of making her the new love interest because if they were going to, you know, you get Jane, you, you do the breakup with Jane, presumably killing off Sif, then you introduce Valkyrie as the new love interest. And there's still rem remnants of that in the script, but I'm glad that they did not go all the way with that. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that Sif deserves better than Thor, at least in the MCU. I wouldn't mind seeing Sif and Valkyrie hook <laughs> up. That'd be pretty awesome. Uh, that'd be that'd be a power couple, King Valkyrie and Queen Sif. Be, I'm for it. Yeah. That that would be, that would be. Can I go live in New Asgard? That'd be amazing. <laughs> there is that tiny, tiny little moment, you know, when they jump on the ship together and they're kind of yeah. face to face and they have that little like, and then it's almost immediately like you, you know. Which I yeah. kind of liked. Where it's more like Thor is like, is she into me? And she's like, no. No, dude. I am very much not. I do like it's more of a mutual respect kind of thing between the two of them. 
you know, respect as warriors. I I really got more sexual tension between Valkyrie and Banner. Yeah. Than anybody else in this film. Like if there was sexual tension between anybody in this film, it is Valkyrie and Banner. Banner got over Nat real quick. The uh, I, I don't I don't think it was that, but I think it it was it was definitely something. I, I, I don't I think... feel like I know you. I feel like I know you too. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, that gets completely washed away by the time we get to Endgame, and Valkyrie looks at him and says, "and says I liked you either of the other two ways." Yeah. The thing is, though, is that we get that whole initial fight scene between Hulk and Thor, and, you know, there's the the great thing of, you know, I know him, he's a friend from work, which is apparently a line that was pitched by a -A Make-A-Wish kid that was visiting the set, which I find adorable. And the fact that Taika liked it so much, he put put it in the movie. Yeah. And in in, in the trailer. Yeah, and I, I love how... Apparently, Taika is just so willing to take ideas from basically anybody as long as they're good, you know, that he just he lets his actors throw in ideas like, you know, crew members walking by, like, as long as it's a good idea, he doesn't seem to care where it's it's from. There's some Which, scenes that it feels like either Hemsworth or, or Hiddleston are, are ad-libbing, and I wouldn't be shocked if that was true. Oh, there are entire scenes that are that are just in, entirely, yeah. Um, and apparently, a lot of the um, Anthony Hopkins stuff was ad libbed. The the more comedic stuff, um, with like you know Odin, Loki, Odin was ad libbed. Um, uh, apparently, Taika says on his movies he likes to have a script. And then he likes the actors to be allowed to play with that as they want. So there are huge chunks, including some of the most famous scenes in the movie that are apparently like 100% ad-libbed. The entire get help scene is ad-libbed. <laughs> I was going to think, I was going to say the get help scene, yeah. Oh, which, but... which apparently started out as a thing called Dead Fish. Mm. And then they had to change it slightly because they thought the audience wouldn't quite get it. But apparently um, most of that. And apparently he's he's very down to changing uh, blocking around entire bits of where uh, as long as the actors are comfortable with it. You know, that he, he doesn't just apparently throw things at people that they're not comfortable with. But he'll he'll be like, hey, are you OK if we do, you know, X or Y? Instead of what was planned. And as long as they're cool with it, it seems like yeah. he he does that. The whole get help scene, like, you know, knowing that that was an entire ad lib thing. That whole scene is really emotionally impactful because it was meant to continue. That was supposed to be a longer fight scene. It starts that conversation between Thor and Loki about, well... Odin brought us together. His death is going to split us apart. That whole conversation. They were supposed to be fighting people and have that entire conversation as a big, long fight scene. And Taika changed it. And they were supposed to do a tiny little part of it in the elevator. And when they got to the elevator part, 
he asked Hemsworth and Hiddleston, do you guys already have the scene memorized? And they said yes. And he said, just do the whole scene. And that conversation between the brothers is like, you know, uh, when this is over, we're going to go our separate ways. I agree. And, you know, you, you'd be great on Sakaar. This planet is, is is perfect for someone like you. And that look that Loki gives, like, you think so little of me, don't you? And you get that whole, you know, I thought the world of you. I mourned your death. I, I, I loved you so much that your death bothered me that greatly. And I wouldn't doubt if, if Loki's death affected Thor to the point that the breakup was part of that. Well, we get that bit about I mourned your death in New York. Yeah. Um, and Loki says, well, I'm I'm honored uh, because Loki doesn't believe him at that point. Yeah. Um, and then but, that, that line that, Loki, that Thor says, you know, I, I thought we would fight together forever. And but at the but when it's all said and done, you're you. I do like that he does see goodness in Loki, but that Loki doesn't see the goodness in himself. Well, here's the thing. You and I read this scene a little differently. Mm -hmm. And I think it comes down to the acting. Mm -hmm. The first big emotional beat is, you know, he says, well, yeah, maybe we should go our separate ways. And they're in the middle of a fight and the emotions are running high. And then they make it to the elevator. They're both kind of still that adrenaline high. And as it calms, Thor is attempting to give some kind of olive branch. Mm. And he says, oh, come on, you do so well here. All this chaos and lawlessness and, you know, people stabbing each other in the backs. This is you. And. Loki says, you really do think so little of me. And he's genuinely hurt because he's like, this is the garbage planet of things nobody wants. Because that is what Sakaar is. That is how the Grandmaster sells it to people. Nobody wants you, but I'm willing to let you live here. All you have to do is worship me. And what is it that Loki has always been? At least since he found out where he came from. You're just another one of Odin's collectibles. We get to the garbage planet, the planet of cast off things. And Thor is like, oh, yeah, now we found your perfect home. You're this is where you belong. Mom's dead. Dad's dead. And now your only family is leaving you on the garbage planet mm. because this is the perfect place for you in the trash, <laughs> in the trash, right here, adopted brother. Now that dad's around anymore, I don't have to deal with you. Go play with the other garbage. And Loki hears this. This is where you belong. And Thor replies, I thought the world of you. I I thought we were going to fight side by side forever. And you can tell momentarily that Loki is genuinely touched. 
you can see it in the performance. His entire mannerism changes. His body language changes. His everything. He had never heard that before. And Loki is pondering that for a moment. And then Thor says, hey, let's do get help. And then he hurls Loki at whoever. This this is why it's so emotionally horrific. Why is Loki so against get help? He says, I don't like that. It's humiliating. And what's Thor's response? Ha <laughs> ha, not for me. <laughs> I'm having a great time. Who gives a crap what you think, adoptive brother? Mm-hmm. I've never once considered your feelings in this. Obviously, our childhood was me and the Warriors 3 humiliating you constantly, bullying you constantly, because you were the weaker one, you were the one less good at all of the toxic masculine Asgardian bullcrap, right? Who cares if it's humiliating for you? It's fun for me. And all of that, every single moment of that, I thought the world of you, Loki. I mourned your death, Loki. You are my brother, Loki. Doesn't matter, because the only thing he's thinking of is, but bullying me, humiliating me, reminding me that my place is the garbage planet with the rest of the forgotten refuse. That's what you remember. Because you'll always be you, and I'll always be me. And that's the moment he makes his choice. He was fully ready to go with Thor. He was fully willing to back up Thor. He was fully willing to be Thor's brother and return with him to Asgard and go there and do whatever. It may not have been perfect. It may not have been a completely smooth whatever because they're still brothers mm-hmm. but it's not until the moment that he's like yeah who cares if it's humiliating for you it's fun for me that loki actually makes the choice to betray him and i love the interaction after we get you know full power thor as we get the the reprise of led zeppelin's immigrant song the, that the is first- such a beautiful shot him flying in to uh land it- it's very Dark Knight Returns, especially with the lightning. It really is. It is It is very similar to that cover image from Dark Knight Returns, yeah. Um, which, you know, I mean, who knows? Maybe Disney will own DC one day. Maybe. Um, um, and then we get the amazing hero shot of Valkyrie as she's walking, you know, with the fireworks going off behind her and then we also get the hero shot of loki as he's like flipping the helmet to use it as a weapon and everything like everybody just gets like a really awesome hero shot right there at the end and i love the interaction after that you're late you have one eye (laughs) yeah i was like (laughs) you're late you look like dad ouch I was just trying to be snarky. You went for blood. What the hell, man? 
Well, you did well, just you shot left me. me tw- yeah, you left me twitching in electrocution mode, so go to hell. <laughs> oh, wait, here she comes. Uh, the um, In Thor's vision where he gets the, are you Thor the God of Hammers, he gets Odin's final thing, which we see foreshadowed in the in the, the, uh, the, the, the deleted, deleted scene. scene, but uh, Asgard's not a place; it's a people. Yeah, and as long as the people survive, Asgard will survive. So, with the people away, Hela's like, "Well, I'll just go get the people and kill them." And he realizes that if she has the power of Asgard, she is drawing from the magic of Asgard. Mm-hmm. Um. The the magic there, the eternal flame, the you know, all that yeah. stuff. And he realizes, like, well, what if that stuff's not there anymore? If the people survive, Asgard will survive. But if Asgard's gone, she has no power. Yeah, but if the physical place is gone, she has no power. She can't go hurt anybody else. Sent, yep. Go get, send Loki. Go put Surtur's crown in the eternal flame. St- Our mission was never to stop Ragnarok. It was to start Ragnarok. And as long as the people are safe, they'll always be in Asgard. And for once, Loki's like, okay, mad respect. I Even I didn't think of that one. And I've had some weird-ass plans in my life, brother. That's... Bold uh, move. Yeah. yeah. And of course, he passes by the Tesseract. Everybody knew what was going to happen. And the fact that there were people who didn't, I'm surprised. <laughs> well, I mean, they foreshadowed it earlier in the movie because Hela walks by it. And mm. after confirming that the Infinity Gauntlet is fake uh, and that, in fact, most of the stuff in the vault is fake. Mm. Uh, she looks at the Tesseract and says, oh, that's that has promise. That could be useful. Yeah. I'm in the theater watching this. Everyone sees him walk past the infinite, uh, the, the tester, and everyone's going, oh, <laughs> Loki, he couldn't help himself. <laughs> well, the thing is, though, is that the Infinity Stone would not have been destroyed just because of the way Infinity Stones work, you know? It wouldn't have been destroyed. The only real difference that would have happened between him taking it or him leaving it is that him and Heimdall would have probably survived. It's just that Thanos would have picked up the stone in the rubble of Asgard rather than on that ship. But the events of Infinity War and Endgame happen almost exactly the same. So yeah, I mean, we get we get our little wrap-up of... Um, you know, the final, uh, final battle between Hela and Surtur. And they're like, oh, let them fight. And then all of a sudden Hulk's like, giant monster. (laughs) Hulk smash. They're like, for once in your life, do not smash the thing. He's like, but, but monster. No, we're leaving. Fine. (laughs) And then I like Hulk just picking up the both of them and jumping onto the (laughs) the ship. Yeah. As Asgard is destroyed, Hela is destroyed, Surtur is destroyed. I I love Korg being like, 
As long as the foundations are strong, this place will become a beacon of... No, no, the foundations are gone. Never mind, never mind. We're... No, sorry. (laughs) I just love that whole whole thing. Um, And then we got... It's a weird thing, because if you actually look at the other Asgardians, as Korg is saying, this whole beacon of hope for the universe, and they're all looking at him like, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah, the Asgardians are like, dude, our, our, our home is crumbling. Can you, can you not with the speeches right now? Also, we're a bunch of previously genocidal and famously like xenophobic weirdos. Like, we're not letting you in. Have you ever seen an alien on our planet? No. No, you haven't. You've we never seen a, a non-Asgardian on our planet. The <laughs> last movie had a, had a lot to deal with the fact that they had to have a Midgardian on their planet. Yeah, get... like, we do not let outsiders on Asgard. We are xenophobic weirdos. <laughs> You're not getting on our planet, dude. But yeah, so we, um, we, get, we get the wrap-up. That that little bit, I have seen outtakes of that bit of him throwing the 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 thing at and Loki catching it and like I'm here and that apparently did take a, a long time to film. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I've seen a lot of outtakes of him missing that. Like, damn it. <laughs> um. Uh. But yeah. Whether he wants the throne or not, the throne belongs to Thor, king of Asgard. Which leads us into our mid-credit scene. As we stated, Thanos has arrived. The Infinity War has begun. I do like Loki being like, are you sure it's cool to take me back to Earth? Because people didn't really like like it when it's there. Thor's like, yeah, probably not the best idea, but we're doing it anyway, because as this movie has proven, I have no good ideas. <laughs> Never once in my life have I apparently had a good idea about anything ever. Um, uh, Thor, king of bad ideas. There is a, a tiny little moment where it does seem like Loki realizes what this is. And I think it's because it's not really stated in the Avengers, but I think we did talk about it when we did the talked about the Avengers mm-hmm. that even though Loki is only ever shown communicating with the other, mm-hmm. that it it does seem like Loki was under the control of Thanos and possibly directly under the sway of the Mind Stone. Possible. So it's. This scene always read to me that Loki knew whose ship that was. That always, in retrospect, that scene makes your blood run cold. Because it looks like a man who knows the, the, the great evil has come for him, you know? And if you play that 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 mid credit scene and play it, and then play the beginning of Infinity War, it just flows right into it. And then, of course, we get the post-credit scene, which is the Grandmaster <laughs> coming out of some, you know, ship or whatever where he's been hiding, and being like, "Okay, good revolution, everybody. <laughs> good, good job. Uh, it's a tie. <laughs> everybody did well. It's a tie. Uh, everybody, go back to what you were doing." Um, Let's ask the question: 
Does Thor Ragnarok have the magic? Absolutely. It is it is my favorite of the Thor movies so far. Super and fun. Super fun. Magical. It is a super fun movie. And it's a nice, big, big, fun movie before you get hit with the gun punch of Infinity War. Yeah. Um, and uh, go watch it again before you go see Love and Thunder. It'll get you in the mood for some love and possibly also some thunder. I might rewatch Endgame or to to kind of get myself in the in the in the proper place where we are in the timeline. Don't go, no, don't... I'm just gonna go watch this one again. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's that's let's move on. We are going to stay in the realm of heroes, but not Marvel heroes. A different kind of hero. We are going to be looking at The Rocketeer next week. Going back to one of our favorite things on this show, Nazi punching. Everybody loves some Nazi punching. So, uh, yeah, come back next week for The Rocketeer. And we will talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye. If you want to help the fight for human rights in the U.S., the American Civil Liberties Union works to protect constitutional rights for all Americans. Their website is aclu.org. If you need reproductive services in the U.S. or wish to donate to those who do, go to abortionfunds.org for more info. The battle isn't over until the last person surrenders. The fight continues. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And of course, new episodes every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it.